Hold on to your butts. Hello and welcome to episode 51 of the Reviewed Movie Podcast. I am Ivan Kander and as always I am joined by uh, my two handsome debonair co-hosts Dave Glanz and Mike Morandi. Say hello gentlemen. Hello, hello gentlemen. And it's so sad right now because Dave just did a... <laughs> Dave literally toasted his own glass because Mike is dialing in via Skype to be a part of this conversation today. Um, the only thing sadder is that I also... Clink two glasses in my own apartment by myself. So um, you and I are sad together. I, I think that we've actually the saddest thing is we've actually printed out a picture of Mike and stuck it on his chair <laughs> to make it seem like he's there when he really isn't. Oh, I so wish we had done that. <laughs> Me too. Um, hello, everyone. This is the podcast where we talk about classic movies in a modern cinematic context. If this is your first time tuning in to us, you can find us on the web at facebook.com slash reviewed podcast. You can email us at contact at reviewedpodcast.com. And uh, you can find us at reviewpodcast.com. Did I say that yet? Um, so that, all right, cool. Um, and on today's episode, um, for the first time in 2000, uh, for our first episode in 2016, um, Charlie Kaufman is a filmmaker who has a new uh, film out, uh, Anomalisa, which just hit theaters. Um, so we are going to be discussing um, his first originally produced screenplay, uh, Being John Malkovich. Seven and a half, right? Uh, yeah. Thank you. Welcome to the seven and a half floor of the Merton Plummer building. My name is Craig Schwartz and I have an interview with Dr. Lester. Please have a seat, Mr. Juarez. My name is Schwartz. My name is Schwartz. Which of these two letters comes first, this one or this one? The symbol on the left is not a letter, sir. Damn, you're good. Do you know that I don't even know your name or where you work? And 50 other lines to get into a girl's pants. <laughs> so, honey, you thought any more about us having a baby? I think that maybe we should just wait to see if this job thing pays off. There's a tiny door in my office, Maxine, and it takes you inside John Malkovich. There's no such thing as a hole into somebody's brain. Yes, there is. Being John Malkovich is a movie that I'm was very excited to revisit for a variety of reasons. One, because I find Charlie Kaufman to be a very enigmatic and interesting uh, cinematic presence. And 1999 was kind of like his um, his debut ball, as you would say. It's the, He was a TV writer prior to um, this film, but this was his first produced screenplay. It's directed by Spike Jones, and it came out in 1999, which we talked about on an earlier episode, as being a seminal year in movies. Um, this was the year that American Beauty came out, and it was the... Uh, Fight Club, Matrix. Matrix, Sixth Sense. Um, in fact, 1999, uh, in, rec- uh, in reflection in doing this podcast, I'd argue maybe one of the greatest years for movies ever. Um, ever, or at least the most reviewed ever. Or, or at least the, the, the year given the most love on this particular podcast. So yeah. being John... We're Mal- going to change the name of the podcast to 1999. <laughs> We're just going to watch every movie from 1999 from now on. Um, and being... John Malkovich is uh, plot synopsis uh, reading from IMDb is as follows. A puppeteer played by John Cusack discovers a portal that leads literally into the head of the movie star John Malkovich. Um, it stars, uh, like I said, John Cusack, Cameron Diaz, Catherine Keener, and of course, John Malkovich. John Malkovich. John yeah. Malkovich. So um, that is the basic premise of the film. Um, and, you know, before actually, um, okay. So I'm going to start with you, Mike. Uh, 
first, but before I ask you whether or not you enjoyed it, I'll get to that later. My first question mm-hmm. is, um, looks like the movie, I just told you the plot synopsis about what the movie is technically about, but Mike, after watching this movie, which I'm assuming is your first time viewing it, correct? Oh yeah. Yep. Oh yeah. You made the comment that you've never seen a Malkovich film before. Right. I've um, never seen Malkovich in anything. Uh, well, this is the best possible first experience. Uh, I feel like it is, yeah. Yeah. Um, For a variety of reasons that I'll get into. But, you know, know, ignoring whether you enjoyed it and ignoring, like, what the movie is, like, A to B plot mechanics, what is this movie actually about? Um, And I'll leave it it there. Didn't we cover this already? Didn't we uh, we do a plot synopsis? That's that's my point, though. Like, if you look beyond, like, the... Yeah, I know. I I, I got you. Yeah, (laughs) I think think it's the idea of... Of and I think complexities of actually being somebody else, um, or even somebody uh, a celebrity, or somebody who you think might be more, you know, uh, better than you, or more godlike, or you know, it just I, I think it kind of explores the idea, or even a different gender, um, and what can result from that. So it's not really more; it's not about specifically John Malkovich. More I think about just being someone of quote unquote power or prestige, or uh, just someone else in general, and seeing how it can kind of affect you or the people around you. And how kind of like everybody has, everyone kind of pulls something different from the experience. So Dave, I'll pose you the same question. Um, did you see this in theaters? I'm assuming you did. Yeah. Um, okay. Um, what the hell is this movie about? Well, I actually came to a, uh, I had a little eureka moment today. Oh when boy. When thinking about this movie. I mean, in the past, first of all, I'm a big fan of this movie. I'm a big fan of Spike Jones, Charlie Kaufman. I saw this in theaters. And I thought it was brilliant. And I still think it's brilliant. I think it holds up. It's, it's a masterpiece. That's Whoa. my opinion. Oh, my God. Okay. Well, hey, hey. <laughs> I think, well, I think every, every movie Spike Jones has made has pretty much been a masterpiece, in my opinion. Um, but thinking about it today, so, yeah, you're right, Mike. It, it is about fame. It's about the desire to be someone else. It's about escaping, and, you know, escaping our daily lives, et cetera, et cetera. It's about the, uh, you know, it's almost about filmmaking, right? The, wanting to escape and be, yeah. and be in someone else's shoes. Yeah, but today I thought, well, this movie is really about empathy. It's about really trying to understand people, and you know, from you know, and and, and all these different characters are just different ways of understanding the, the world through one person's eyes. In, in this case, so that's what I would say. I would say it's a movie about empathy. A movie about, I mean, it, it's about a lot of things, really. But I mean, I think I think what I'm really what I really took away from it this time is it's about really trying to understand other people's viewpoint. So my take on this film, and I never saw it in theaters. I saw it subsequently on DVD after it was, um, I think I, I, I caught it in like uh, early 2000s or whatever uh, when I started getting really into movies. This is like the potluck of movies for me um, or, or a smorgasbord, if you will, because I feel like Charlie Kaufman had so many ideas and he managed, and he just crammed them all into one screenplay. And the reason I posed that question at the beginning of this podcast is I feel like it's a movie that you could take in a billion different directions about what it's actually about. And I think that there are things in here that actually have no meaning, and he just puts them in there because he's an absurdist kind of guy, and he likes weird yeah, things. Yeah, someone hits yeah, John Malkovich in the head I with a beer like can. There, <laughs> I mean, that doesn't mean anything. But it's funny. There's a lot of stuff, like, as I was watching, I'm like, is this supposed to mean something, or is it just him having some fun? Like, why is the floor only, like, half the height? Or, like, you know, why is the... Well, I mean, you could argue guy, you like, could argue that that's symbolism as well. Well, I think they actually explained it. And that was one of the things I was thinking about when I was thinking this is a movie about empathy. When I think that the so Orson oh, Bean, yeah. or, Orson Bean plays um, 
the boss of this company that John Cusack is, is going to work for, and it's on the seventh, seven and a half floor. And you eventually find out that Orson Bean's character uh, made it this way because uh, he, he, I think uh, he met a dwarf or a little person or something or someone, and that was, and this was his way of trying to understand what it was like to, you know, well, yeah, you have, have to be so, you know, low down. It's ridiculous, of course. I mean, everyone. He, he was in love with her and married her, but he wanted to kind of, yeah, make a, a place where she could feel comfortable. So, yeah, mm-hmm. em- empathizing with somebody else and kind of putting themselves in their shoes. Yeah. So a lot putting of yourself absurd, in their shoes. A lot yeah. of the absurdist and surrealist elements in this movie, they, they have meaning. It's not just, you know, some of them I think are just there because they're funny. But I think, I mean, that's actually pretty brilliant, Dave. I, to be honest with you, I didn't put... <laughs> The, I mean, I didn't put two and two together. I think that's a, I mean, they, even though they have this whole like subplot of where they show this training video of why <laughs> the floor is only half yeah, the size. Right. Um, I, you know, for some reason I didn't pick up on the empathy thing in a movie that is largely about empathy. And, um, the, the, here's why I'm such a cynical person. Um, I viewed this movie this time around and all I could think about was this is a movie about spite and hatred of other people's success. Hmm. That's what I well, it's also, I'm sure it's also it's also about okay. that too. You know? um, and I, I th- I'm really glad that you had such a your, your take is so much more positive because it um, it kind of saves the movie a little bit for me that it doesn't feel so mean spirited because I feel like the movie is has a very dark mean spirited edge yeah, throughout yeah, it. Yeah, it sure does. It does. Ending, yeah. Um, and just the way it ends and the way it deals with um, characters and and, and whatnot. Um, I don't know how much you want to, you know, stick with what this movie is, like I said, plot-wise for A A to B mechanics. But basically it follows John Cusack's character who's like uh, Charlie Kaufman's surrogate in my head. Right. He's a puppeteer. He's a puppeteer, but, you know, you that's an easy uh, – that's easy to make the correlation between a puppeteer and a screenwriter because they are both controlling lives of fictional yeah. things uh, to their whim. Um, and yep. they're both nebbishy. Uh, they're both vaguely Jewish. Um, they're vaguely. <laughs> what was name Schwartz? Yeah, um, it's not, funny not that John, so vaguely. <laughs> John Cusack is like one of the most un-Jewish actors <laughs> you could pick. But he's kind of. I mean, I feel like he is. He's doing almost like an absurdist Look reality. At this guy. <laughs> Look at this guy. This is the same. This is like a year before he made Being John Malkovich. <laughs> this guy is not. It's amazing how unattractive they managed to look. They managed well, to make John uh, well, Cusack the, and and yeah, the whole Cameron movie is people Cameron dressing yes. down. Yeah, and, and the ironic thing is. You know, Catherine Keener plays almost like a femme fatale in this movie, but mm-hmm. in any other film, Cameron Diaz would have played that role, yeah. and Catherine Keener would have played the homely wife character that has it's all tons that empathy. Of pets. Everyone doing roles they would normally do. Yeah. Well, See, Catherine Keener was kind of perspective. An, Boom. I think Catherine Keener was a little bit unknown at this point, right? Cameron Diaz was only known, was only famous for a few years at this point. And well, uh, that is true. Uh, Catherine Keener uh, got an Oscar nomination for this movie. Did she win? She may have won. No, uh, no. Uh, she was nominated anyway. Um, so yeah. Uh, she plays an interesting role. Um, so, yeah, bef- I'm going to go back into a lot of the symbolism and things I want to talk about. But, Mike, getting back to the original point of this podcast, Dave has already declared this film to be a masterpiece, right? <laughs> yeah, well, and, it is. and this is the review <laughs> podcast. So in reviewing this movie in a lens 15 years later, Mike, is this a masterpiece? <laughs> Uh, that those are some very strong words. I don't know if I would I would go with masterpiece. Uh, he didn't say Dave. no, <laughs> but no, I I, uh, I I enjoyed it. Uh, I vaguely enjoyed it. <laughs> I think like it it was kind of escapism for me a little bit. I think it's some some situations, and obviously the premise itself is is completely ridiculous, right? So you're gonna have to kind of go into it with an attitude of like, all right, here to have some fun. Let's check this movie out. Um, 
And it, this actually does what I think I've criticized a lot of other movies in the past uh, for not doing. Um, I think it very clearly sets up its rules and it sticks to them. Um, and sure it does. only bends them in ways that makes sense. Is, right. Right. In ways you're like, okay, yeah, that, that's fine. Like it doesn't, it's not like you're reinventing something. So when you, you know, the original rule is you can only be in there for 15 minutes and, and John Malkovich's brain for 15 minutes and you can only observe. Well, we see him break that rule when um, John Cusack takes control of his body and stays in it for as long as he wants to. That's and he so, only can so do that good. because he's a puppeteer. Like that, that makes sense to me. It works. And because you know exactly what the rules are, the stakes are high as far as like you know what's going to happen if they don't get out. If he leaves the body, what, could, what that could imply, what could happen for everybody. Um, so I, I think from that standpoint, like I really appreciated it because I felt like it was – it has its own mythology. And when you're going through that, the old guy's book um, – and it's it's just like diagrams of a wormhole going into a brain and then going into a baby's body. Like, like all right, fair enough. So whatever. Let's just assume that this is all true and how they set this up. And 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 in building that world out and then kind of sticking to it, as ridiculous as it is, um, I think lends a lot of uh, it keeps the stakes high and it keeps me in, at least me it keeps me invested because I know what um, can and cannot happen. No, um, I, I agree with you entirely. And going back to a movie we talked about a couple of weeks ago, Donnie Darko, I think this film does a much better right. job of establishing, like, so both those Absolutely. movies are incredible, yep. incredibly surreal, but being John Malkovich is surprisingly easy to follow. You're never confused about what's happening or why it's happening. And I think that's a testament to a good writer can take even the most ridiculous premise and make you buy it into it. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm totally in agreement with that. And, um, as the film progresses and sort of evolves, um, it is kind of amazing how quickly the characters accept that this thing <laughs> exists right, in the world, right. but Which I, I they need to, in order to move this thing along, like they absolutely have to be able to do that. And you know, and that's another thing I was thinking about. If this was made today, I don't think being John Malkovich would have been made as a movie. I think it would have been made as a Netflix original series that no. was 10 episodes long <laughs> sure. and it would have taken a lot longer to establish and build through it. And you would have gone into different people's heads and blah, blah, blah. And I, I kind of love how quickly this movie gets in and gets out. Like I, I, as much as I love the golden age of television that we are in now, sometimes like we can tell a story in two hours and we don't need to belabor the point. And I think that this is a good example of that. Yeah. Um, okay. So I want to talk about the tone, this absurdist tone. Um, and the thing I kept on thinking about when watching this film, uh, uh, did, does anyone watch the FX series Louie at all? Oh, yeah. Mike, a couple of you in there. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, Louie, especially in the, I think, guess third season, really drifts into this very odd, surreal landscape where Louis is the only normal person and everyone else is like crazy or insane almost. Is this the one where he gets a talk show? No, no I, I'm sorry. I, I'm thinking of the following season, but there's basically yeah. like a sequence where like, you know, there is a hurricane going on, like crazy stuff is happening. And like, okay. it's just like, it's just a very, it's very surreal. Um, and this is, this movie does plays in the same kind of tone and style. Like the, for instance, when John Cusack starts working at this filing company and the receptionist like can't understand, like pretends to not understand what he's saying. Mm -hmm. And like just that, (laughs) just that interaction is so oddball and surreal. Um, I think it kind of matches that tonal style. And I I wonder what you guys make of, you know, starting early in the movie, what is the point of the receptionist? Is that just a funny gag that Kaufman thinks is funny or is there deeper meaning there? I don't know if there's deeper meaning. (laughs) You, I think you could look into it and find deeper. I mean, if, if we're going on the premise that the movie's about 
empathy. I mean, it's kind of like the opposite of empathy, right? It's the idea of like you just you cannot understand somebody else. You're kind of blocking them out. You're making them feel belittled and small, and like you're not you know allowing any of that in. Um, which I think actually kind of represents a little bit of what you know Cusack's character, you know uh, Schwartz is kind of like that. I think in some way he has his own path that he's you know he's following, and he doesn't understand or care about anyone else's um, situations, feelings, etc. So here's the cool thing about this movie is that. There are some under-the-surface things going on under here. So if we're, we're saying it's a movie about empathy, okay, that's kind of what's going on under the surface. But what's going on, uh, what's going on, uh, you know, on the surface, this movie is not really that subtle. I mean, it's called Being John Malkovich, and that's exactly what it is. It's about being right. John Malkovich. And, you know, the jokes are, kind, are, are funny, but they walk that line. They're, they're not like, they're not jokes that go over your head. They're very obvious that, you know, it's not like, it's not like this woman who doesn't understand John Cusack is a joke that uh, you know you either find that funny or you don't find it funny. It's not like it's a, it's a hard joke to get, right? You know, so most of the things that happen in, in this movie are um, you know very on the surface. It's like uh, it's it's like Charlie Kaufman came up with all these crazy ideas. Like, what if you could actually go inside somebody's head? You know, like what if I said right now, like what if I could be this bottle of bourbon? You know, <laughs> like he he just took give this, it a shot. You know, <laughs> he just took these ideas that. You know, it sounds like he probably just kind of whittled away until he found the ones that were the most interesting and kind of combined them into this screenplay where he said, well, what if you could actually go inside someone's head? Whose head would it be? Would it be an actor's? Oh, yeah. About Gene Char- what about John Malkovich? What about, you know? Well, I think, I mean, okay, so I think you bring up a good point about Charlie Kaufman as a writer and a personality is he is both very highbrow and very lowbrow at the exact same time. And um, they're totally different filmmakers and writers, but I think a lot about Quentin Tarantino when mm-hmm. I think about Charlie Kaufman because Quentin Tarantino is a guy that can make film critics squee with delight about how good he is at building tension or editing or designing frames. But at the same time, he just likes having people bleed a lot and do things that are very uh, lowbrow, gory, B-movie type stuff. And in this film... You know, we have a movie that has underlying themes of empathy, and we have uh, a, a movie about obsession and um, of um, um, what am I trying to think? When, when you aspire to be like some, jealousy, that's what I'm trying to say. Sure, yeah. a movie about jealousy, complicated all that, word. Yeah, yeah, there we go. Um, he it's all about that, but at the same time, I think he literally puts Malkovich in this movie because he likes the way Malkovich sounds. I mm-hmm. think that that is the only reason he chooses John Malkovich. Like He's like, that's a fun I, name to say. Yeah. I, yeah, I think also, which would explain the scene when he goes inside of his own head, but I think I, there's something interesting about him as a character, and I bet as a person he's probably very interesting. Um, and I think they also have a lot of like jokes about how he's like, He's well known, but like, what but is he really well known he's for? He's well known, but nobody knows what he's been in, which what, is a recurring right, joke. Exactly. Because <laughs> you were the in same struggle. You, you were in that Jewel Thief movie, right? Like I wasn't in a Jewel. <laughs> and then everyone keeps on referring to the Jewel Thief movie that he's been that he's never in, which I think is perfect. Uh, well, the guy right. who said like, I, I love the movie where you wear the retard. The guy just says the word yeah. retard like ten times in the, in the in the conversation. It's hilarious. Um, I think he probably was playing. I, I think he maybe he's thinking. Of mice and men. I think he's thinking of mice and men. <laughs> of mice and men. Um, but the the other thing I love about the movie is, so and maybe we can talk about the deeper meaning of this. But people go into John Malkovich's head and experience what it's like to live, and you know they're lining up to be John Malkovich literally for fifteen minutes at a time. And the thing I find fascinating about that is 
Malkovich's life is so boring. So mundane. It's, I love the scene when he, gets to, he hops into his head and he's talking about ordering some kind of, was it blinds or something? Yeah. He's going bath, through his bath fridge. Towels. Bath towels. And what, what is Kaufman <laughs> saying, though, about what, like, why, why are people, what is he saying about people if we're so obsessed just to live the, the normalcy of Malkovich's life? Right. I, I think it kind of, I, I mentioned a little bit earlier, but I think we tend to idolize a lot of people and put them on pedestals, but at the end of the day, they're just normal people and, you know, they're no real better. I mean, they might be better looking or better at one thing in particular, but at the end of the day, like they're not much, they're no more godlike than the rest of us, you know? And I think that's kind of like, what's interesting is that even that guy, so I, that scene where the guy's going through this, rooting through his fridge for food and he's talking about some kind of order on the phone and the guy doesn't understand him or whatever. <laughs> it's just I so assume, good. Like it's so, it's, it's great. It's so it's great. boring. It's hilarious how boring it is. And he's talking about he wants something in lavender or whatever. When that guy comes out of the head, I assumed at that point he'd be like really pissed off and want a refund because he, you know, the, the it was not didn't live up to expectations, anything like that. But he's like, that was amazing. That was so cool. Like, there's something about just being somebody else. I think that's just really interesting. And I feel like um, even just something as basic as just feeling like I guess they kind of touch on a little bit of like. What's it like to be in someone else's body? Like, do you feel t- you're, you're, if you're taller, you're higher up, off the ground. Like, your voice is deeper; it resonates more in your chest. You might feel that. So, like, there's probably a very, very basic, um, instinctual feeling of being in somebody else's body, and what might that be like? And I feel like when Lottie goes into his body, she kind of experiences that. She feels what it's like to be a man, a big, handsome, sexy man in the shower. Like, so, like, it kind of handsome, it, sexy John Malkovich. Right, That's the other right. thing about Malkovich is he's not an attractive man, <laughs> no. which is another. He's kind of, yeah, he's kind of a little weird look. Like he's he's he's, dis- way, he's, he's yeah he's uh, he's like ugly handsome like Willem Dafoe. Like he's like <laughs> he's not even he's not even as ugly handsome as Willem Dafoe. Uh, yeah, Ma- Madge Mickelson, maybe. No, <laughs> come on, those guys are way more. <laughs> Ooh, we got, we. we We've hit what Dave is attracted to, memoir. Hey, you know, I went in John Malkovich's head, and now, I, and now I'm just attracted to, to, to weird actors. <laughs> um, let me ask you guys a question. Have you yeah. ever uh, Facebook stalked somebody or Twitter stalked somebody or, or just, you know, found someone's profile and you just like, I'm going to see what this guy girl's all about? Dave, not once in my life have I ever done that. I mean, I doubt, never either. to like a weird standpoint, but. Like if you're – the problem with Facebook is it's so easy to get bored and go down this rabbit hole of connections with people mm-hmm. and like, oh, this looks like a fun New Year's Eve party. Oh, what are they doing there? <laughs> right. Oh, I got – oh, who's that person he's hanging out with? And then you click on that person's profile and then you're like – so th- I think that's just the nature of having all this information at our fingertips now. Yeah, right. In well, 1999, I, 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 that life kind of wasn't available, wasn't an option. So I, watching, it, watching it now, I thought, well, it's interesting. It's kind of predicting – it's it's kind of saying human nature. It's human nature to want to be in someone else's shoes. And now we live in a world where we, in a lot of ways, can I, actually I, I can actually still, do I mean, that. I, I think this takes it a step further of actually being somebody else and like walking around and experiencing things th- like literally through their eyes. I think it's a little bit different. But Ivan makes a good point because I, I think we had actually talked about this on a previous podcast discussing like um, – how in Facebook, the world of Facebook and Twitter, you can kind of follow everyone else's life, lives, which are completely idealized. Like they're only letting photos up that they want people to see. So it's always painting everybody in this amazing life that they're doing all this amazing stuff or they never have any problems. So we're seeing, you know, and the same idea is kind of like, uh, you know, we're seeing the most idealized version of everybody's life, much like we see celebrities kind of in a similar way, you know. Um, well, don't you remember when Facebook, I feel like when Facebook, really just started when face when it was kind of like myspace transitioning into facebook people would and i say this i can say this about myself they would just say 
random things that had, you know, they would just say sitting down for dinner, period. (laughs) Right. Yes. They would just say mundane things. So I feel like you could, you could, you know, at some point in the past 15 years since this, this has come out, how long has it been? 1999. It was almost 16. Anyway. Um, you know, by the I way, feel, it, I feel it like, feels very 2000, by the way, the yeah. long hair, like there's a lot of things in there that feel very 2000. Yeah. Never uh, thought I'd say that, but, <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean the, I want to, you know, we've been talking a lot about Charlie Kaufman as, as a presence in this movie and he has gone on to, um, he wrote adaptation, which Spike Jones also, uh, directed. And then he branched out and, uh, wrote and directed Synecdoche, Synecdoche, New York. You're forgetting the most important one. <laughs> Uh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless um, Mind, which is uh, which is directed by <laughs> Michelle Gondry, right? Um, which I think is his best best film, yeah. yeah. Um, personally, yeah. Um, and in New York is considered by some film people to be one of the greatest films ever made. I don't quite feel that, but um, I feel like that that movie goes a little bit too deep into surreal out mm-hmm. surreality mm-hmm. surrealness surreality 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 totally work but i want to talk about spike jones as a filmmaker a little bit uh, what defines this movie as a spike jones movie like cinematically what does he do in this movie that makes it stand out or does he do anything I, this is a guy who started in music videos he's famous for fat a uh, bunch of fat boy slim music videos and beastie boys weezer beast, yeah so he he got his start there in fact a lot of directors in the late 90s or even early nineties got their start in music videos. You know, people Michelle like Gondry. Michelle Gondry, Michael Bay, mm-hmm. a lot of these really visual <laughs> stylists. <laughs> nice connection there. But I mean, yeah, it's the same true. kind You're of right. uh, Michael. You can David say what Fincher, you want. David Fincher. You can say what you want about Michael Bay, but he knows how to shoot a beautiful looking image. Like he can't do anything else yeah. beyond that. But he he's really knows how to capture gorgeous looking imagery. He's the Thomas Kincaid of directing. <laughs> I wouldn't Ooh. even say that because I think t- I think that his stuff has an edge to it visually, whereas Thomas Kincaid creates the most boring okay. milk toast thing right, ever. Uh, but anyway, whoa 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 whoa! <laughs> <laughs> I just insulted Mike, who's got a Thomas Kincaid painting. On his- <laughs> No, my, my grandmother actually does. So on her behalf, I'm sticking up for him. So oh, gosh, she sorry. is the, the well, Thomas <laughs> Kincaid is the guy that everyone like. Every grandmother has a Thomas <laughs> Kincaid, right? right yeah. Um, yeah. But anyway, um, so what about Spike Jones separates him as a filmmaker, and does that kind of show through in this movie, which I believe is his first feature, correct? Yes. Uh huh. So Dave, you're you're you you're a big Spike Jones fan, definitely. He grew up in Bethesda, Maryland. Did oh my know? god, we, we have to love <laughs> him now. Love the guy, and he's Jewish. Oh, now I really like him. Spiegel, right? His real name? <laughs> yeah, Spiegel. Before I was not into it, but now I'm, I'm totally on now board. Now you're into it. Uh, I remember this movie came out the same year as a movie called Three Kings that was directed by David O. Russell with George Clooney and Ice uh-huh. Cube. Again, 1999. Spike, Spike Jones was was the co-star in that movie. Oh, yeah, yeah. I remember yeah, that. He, so he was actually an actor uh, for a bit. He, he, not, not so much anymore. He appears in all the Jackass movies. And he was in The Wolf of Wall Street. He had a bit part in The Wolf of Wall Street. Anyway. Oh, he was like in the opening scene with like the penny stocks, that guy. I, I can't remember. He was like early. He like has a very brief part in that movie. But anyway, sorry. Yeah. Well, he's, well, he's just a very, he's a very interesting, uh, he's a director. I think he wears his heart on his sleeve. He makes, I mean, we we, we were saying this movie's, uh, how did you, what did you call it? The a smorgasbord? No, at the beginning, you, you you said it's a movie about spiteful people. I think it's a movie about spiteful people, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, it, yeah. from my point of view, just looking at his filmography. So he made, uh, being John Malkovich, he wanted to make, uh, make adaptation, uh, Where the Wild Things Are, Her. I'm, I'm not sure if I'm missing. No, he, missing he's, not a, he's not prolific. He's, not he's that, only made a few films. But right. Yeah. And I, I'm just looking at the uh, uh, Wikipedia just to see if he has anything coming up, and I, I don't see anything. Um, 
but they're all they're they're optimistic movies with a very melancholy undercurrent, you know. And that's I guess the way I would describe it. I mean, he makes you know where the wild things are was a movie about childhood essentially he took a, a children's book and expanded it to make it a movie about have you guys seen where the wild things are i did i remember not liking it oh i really really like where the wild things are uh her the movie with uh joaquin phoenix and who falls in love with his phone <laughs> you know sounds ridiculous and again it's like he makes movies that like when you when you say you the know premise, when, it you sounds do, ridiculous, when you do the elevator pitch like, it, yeah, yeah. It, it sounds absurd and ridiculous but when you actually watch them pulls it off yeah yeah, he does. He really, I mean, I, he hasn't had a bum movie at, at all that I can think of. I mean, when I watch his movies, I think this is a guy who uh, is smart uh, and I guess empathetic is the right word. Um, and yeah, I feel like he's, uh, really he has something people. to say about human the human condition and, and a lot of his movies. You know, he's really exploring what it's like uh, to be human in various uh, capacities, you know. Yeah, what what I like about him is he, he tends to focus a lot on his characters and making the characters real. Um, and I, I think that's something that we're so often lacking in a lot of movies now. So I, I appreciate when I can find a director who can do that. Yeah. Like even his villain, you know, I mean, this I would argue that that uh, Schwartz is the villain of this movie. Yeah. Schwartz. And I think even him, you understand where he's coming from. You understand his motivations. You, I think he gets the most, obviously gets the most screen time. Like you're really getting to the head of that guy. You understand where, <laughs> so to speak. Well, I mean, I, I would almost argue that he, uh, Spike Jones, not Spike, well, I guess Spike Jones and Charlie Kaufman pull an interesting feat from a, a story perspective is they turn their hero into a villain. Um, yes. Because yeah, I, they, I think he's meant to be sympathetic very much so at the beginning of the movie. And actually, to be honest, I, I think the villain is what's her name, honestly. And I was a little upset that she got like a happy ending. Um, Catherine Keener's character? No, 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 no. The uh, Lottie? No. Oh, yeah, I guess it is Catherine Keener. Yeah. Um Maxine. What the her Maxine. name? Maxine. Maxine. Thank you. Um, yeah, Maxine, I feel like, is the most cold-hearted bitch well, in the well, entire let's, movie. Well, let's talk about that a little bit. Um, yeah, so what is her deal? Um, what did she... Is she... What, is her, what does she want in this movie? What is her goal as a character? I think she's just... She is greed. I think she just wants more of... Who knows what? I don't, think she, I don't even think she knows what she wants, but I think she just knows when she finds something that she wants and she just goes for it and has zero appreciation for what that might mean to other people yeah um she kind of switches on and off i mean look how many hearts she breaks through the course of the movie like even between uh what's her name um lottie lottie and 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 uh craig craig thank you god I don't know. <laughs> lottie i actually knew i couldn't think of craig's name um i mean just what she does to the two of them and i think like it, it kind of sucks at the very end that she just ends up with lottie and like lottie's kind of like an innocent character i think like she has her flaws right she makes her own you know, bad decisions, but she's kind of the most innocent of everybody in the movie. And it, it's kind of upsetting that she ends up with this woman who just is just a complete wretch and just kind of moves as she wants. And with, you know, Oh, well, yeah, you, you're, you're of no use to me. So see you later. Or just like openly mocks people. Like she sucks. Well, you could argue that, uh, that Cameron Diaz's character changes Catherine Keener's character. I mean, I mean, I think Catherine Keener's character definitely starts out as someone who, who's, uh, just out for, you know, a very cynical character, a very, uh, you know, li- likable because she has charisma, but unlikable because she is looking to just, you know, control people and condescend. You know, she's a very, she is very condescending and, uh, but at the same time, also very witty, very funny. You know, the way it, she brushes off John Cusack, it's funny. Well, it's, um, she is, you know, she's so cold 
And um, I just don't know if I completely understand her character. And I don't know whether that's me not being a bad viewer or the movie not providing me something to latch onto. She's, I think, the weakest link in the movie for me. Not that her performance is bad. I think her performance is great. It's it's more to do with I never know if she's being honest and perhaps that's intentional. But at the same time, I don't know whether or not – I don't know how the ending of this movie is supposed to to sit with the viewer. Are you supposed to feel bad for Craig? Are you supposed to feel happy that – a selfish guy like him who has, you know, pined for other people's success is getting what he deserves. What, what is the – how are you supposed to feel at that end moment of the movie? I feel like it's, it's a tragedy. I think it's one of those typical – like, you know, it's it, – just to jump back a, a second, you're saying you're not sure if Catherine Keener's character, Maxine, is honest or not. I, would I don't say know that if she, she's ever – I don't know if she's really in love with Lottie at the end. I don't know if she's really in love with the, Craig when the, she's Malkovich. I don't know. Right, no, I, I would say that she is – Everything up until no, you you know what you're right. You're right because I don't know if she's just using him when she realizes you could become John Malkovich. If she just uses him to kind of get and, to the and what does she and what does she get out of that equation? Because I mean, is she? It's not like she's really into fame and fortune. It's like not like that's a thing that she's craving. So like, what does she get for using him to be John oh, I think Malkovich? It's, just, it's money. I think she's opportunistic. She, I mean, obviously it's her idea that who, she comes up with the idea for making money off of the John Malkovich. Yeah. But tunnel, even, right? even, even the money, I feel like in this film, like obviously she is driven by finances to set up this little business, which is amazing how it spread so quickly. Like how, yeah. how do you advertise this business? Um, in the newspaper <laughs> in 1999. Um, but um, yeah, I just, I, I almost feel like that's window dressing for something deeper because money is treated in this film. It's there. It's not like it's ignored. Uh, Craig gets a job because he supposedly needs money, that kind of thing. But at the same time, I don't feel like it's ever a plot point where you're like, oh, if Craig doesn't you know, get this paycheck, they're going to not pay their rent. Like it's not like a thing that's driving the conflict of the movie. So it's not like they're collecting this money to save a rec center or something like that. You know, like there's no, <laughs> there's no end goal for becoming rich or even – not even rich because they're not even making that much money really off of it uh i i just i wonder no, wait whoa are you kidding me there i'm the, under the impression they're making a ton of money it's 200 dollars a person you see that line going out the door every night yeah but i mean you're, you're limited by time right uh like you can only do it's 50- only 15 minutes a pot so if there's like 20 people in that line they're making 200 dollars a person each night that's but, insane but logistically craig that means that he has to keep driving back every 10 minutes to the New Jersey Turnpike to pick Dude. up whoever falls. Like, <laughs> it doesn't logistically make sense. To no, 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 no. <laughs> yeah, practically. Off. I mean, if you can accept people going into John Malkovich's brain, you can accept someone getting to the I New Jersey Turnpike. I had a lot problem. of problems with the transit time to pick people. No. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think when I saw it, I didn't realize how close the New Jersey Turnpike actually was. I guess my overarching point is I don't think that money – even though they're, they're, that's the ostensible goal of what they're doing of this endeavor, I don't think it's ultimately important to what the movie's actually about, right? Like, it's not about money, right? Or is it? No, I, well, for, I think for Craig, it's finding purpose. This is a no, guy, I think this it's is a, a guy it's, who it's wants about, to find purpose. You know, I think money is just a goal. I think it's about characters achieving, you know, getting whatever they want. I think they have a whole discussion about, you know, getting what you want and those who don't get it, like, well, who cares about them, you know? Well, that's one of my, I guess, my point about Craig being, um, like, 
about this whole idea about spite and jealousy. In the opening scene, Craig sees this other puppeteer, and I just love this movie exists in a universe where puppeteers are like a thing that like <laughs> right, there's a, there path. is a famous puppeteer. Like and I, I love how is it Brad Pitt they're talking about? Where no, it's, just, it's, like, it's 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 Sean Penn Sean talking Penn. about Sean Penn. It's yeah. Sean Penn talking about he wants to become a puppeteer. Right. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, but just I uh, you know he, the first thing in this movie is him jealous over this guy getting notoriety, mm. and as someone who you know, aspires to make movies and does right now at a stage of his life where he's not great at doing so. Me personally, I under, I can, oh, sympa- I can, oh, sy- come on. I, but I can sympathize with that feeling of being like, why is that guy? Why is he the guy? And I, I think that that's what the movie is ultimately playing with. It's not about currency or finances. It's about, um, I, I guess in terms of a tragedy, it's about a person realizing coming to their own demise by trying to achieve greatness by being the, the guy who says i want to be that guy i want to be this guy you know yeah, why does he get all the and, blah 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 and quite literally right because he in order for him to be successful he has to be john malkovich in order mm-hmm. to do so which i think is there's a lot of there's a lot of layers there you know <laughs> yeah when you think about it um oh yeah i mean uh, by the time this movie got to the point where John Malkovich dresses up in that that beige jacket and the blue hat and comes, to, you know, cuts to the head of the line and, and goes inside his own head through the portal, I mean, it's <laughs> Malkovich, it's, Malkovich. it's just like it's it's genius. I mean, this this movie is is a work of of screenwriting genius to have have a character get to that point where they actually literally physically can go inside their own head. I mean, it's just that it, you know that scene is just. Well, the one thing you know, about that scene that's... What's funny is, I actually, I was, I was saying that I'm like, I, like 20 minutes in the movie, I'm like, I wonder what happens if he goes into his own head. I bet that's the climax of the movie. And then they go there like halfway through, and I was like, oh, yeah, okay, well, now the, where are they going to go from there? Well, <laughs> the, the, the thing I think that's interesting about that is um, it's one of those things that it's like a question that you almost have to answer as a screenwriter. And I like how Kaufman plays it for probably the film's most memorable comedic set piece, not... A climactic dramatic moment. Um, it's it's the equivalent of like, uh, it would be. Did anyone see Ant Man? This is a really obscure I reference. Not, I haven't. Yeah. Okay, never mind. This is gonna. <laughs> Mike, did you see Ant Man? No. No, I haven't. Okay, sadly. screw this. Anyway, and there's one point in. One, there's one point. It's course. I love there, that. There's one point in Ant Man, uh, the Marvel film, where um, they make up this big deal about. Uh, you know, if Ant-Man goes subatomic, he could get lost in this idea, like get lost into the universe by going too small. Hmm. And that's obviously what the movie's like climactic moment ends up being uh, because he's, they set that up very early. It's like it's setting up something that you have to pay off later. But the, it would be the equivalent of in that movie, uh, if you're doing what Malkovich does, is having him get there like halfway through the movie and being like, yeah, oh, that was weird, and then just kind of moving on, which is is kind of what 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 Charlie Kaufman's doing here, right? Like it's yeah, I guess. <laughs> which, you know, you reminded me there was a movie that came out ten or twelve years before being John Malkovich called Inner Space about with a uh, Dennis Quaid and Martin Short, where Martin Short uh, or Dennis Quaid is a test pilot who gets uh, shrunken to the size of like a molecule, and you know through a matter of certain different weird action movie circumstances gets injected into Martin Short. And uh, so he gets to like see the world through Martin Short's eyes, you know. But and that's like for the for the majority of the movie. Um, I don't know. I just, well, <laughs> I mean, yeah, body snatching movies. 
are kind of like a cinematic staple. You mean body switching? Well, snap, snatching because like there's tons, like there's that terrible Eddie Murphy movie where there was like the alien men inside the people's head. There's Inside Out that recently came oh, out yeah, this past yeah, year. Yeah, yeah. Good, good. Uh, there, there's a lot of movies uh, that deal with this concept of like being inside uh, someone else's head. Um, so another thing I want to address uh, in this film is I want to talk about one of my favorite sequences of. My favorite scene in the entire movie, and this is going to be weird, mm-hmm. uh, we're jumping around a little bit. My favorite scene in this whole movie is the ape flashback. Oh. <laughs> um, where Elijah has the moment where they go into his head. So Cameron Diaz has a lot of pets in the movie. Yeah, she, I don't know what and she does. A She's a, a caretaker for animals. I guess, yeah. She's got a monkey, and, they have a, and the monkey has a flashback. When she's tied up in a cage, right? We're, no, it's 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 basically the monkey seeing her parents being cap, uh, or his parents being captured. But it's a flashback that happens yes. because Cameron Diaz is right. tied up by Jones. And in that, he sees his parents taken away and him being powerless to do something. And then, and then he uh, he comes into our world and he ends up helping Cameron Diaz escape, basically almost making good on the thing that he was unable to do. Redemption. Uh, wait, which, but I, the reason I think that moment's so brilliant is a, it's completely absurd, right? It's yeah. like an absurdist moment. But at the same time, the reason it's awesome is it's set up early that he, uh, Elijah has emotional issues about what's been happening. You know, he's been going to a therapist. They talk about this ape going to a therapist, and Charlie Kaufman pays it off and gives that character probably the happiest ending in the entire movie. He's <laughs> the true. only one that ends up like I, I would say like emotionally satisfied because I'm still not convinced that Catherine Keener. And Cameron Diaz are living a happy life. Like, I, I, going back to what I was saying earlier. In the last scene, they seem to be. Are they? Is Catherine Keener really happy at that point? Like, I guess that's my question. No, I mean, they, they don't, I mean, as far as what they show in the movie, I mean, they, they, show, uh, they show them at the pool with their daughter and the daughter swimming. And, and uh, you know, you know from, from our eyes, we understand that the daughter is, is, is the new uh, vessel for people to be able to live forever, as, as it were. Um, but I, I, you know, they don't, I don't think anything's implied that, uh, makes you think that they're unhappy. You know, well, I, um, Mike, how do you feel about that in terms of Catherine? She starts out, like you said earlier in this movie as a cold bitch, right? She is yeah. that who, that is who she's portrayed as. And at the end, you're supposed to buy that she's a happy family, uh, you know, living a happy, uh, nuclear family life with her wife and all that kind of stuff. I mean, do you buy that character transition or I, I still don't know what to make of her character, I guess is what I'm trying I, to say. I think, I think we're meant to believe that she is happy. Um, I would, I don't know. I would have expected that her and what's his name kind of get what they deserve at the end. And I felt like it was almost like weird that she got away scot-free. Um, but I think we're supposed to believe that. Yeah. She has a happy life and everything is cool. And she said this wonderful realization and everything is now, now, okay, in her world, now she's a good guy, you know? Like, and I, I just didn't really buy it. That was one of the couple notes I, I just didn't love. Um, that, and I also had another issue, which uh, I think we also discussed, Ivan, about the movie Source Code as well. Um, what happens to John Malkovich himself? Like, he's yeah, just stuffed down in his own body, we along really, with 50 other people, and now they're just... <laughs> we haven't really talked much about the act, one of the best part, probably maybe the best part of the movie. Is John oh, yeah, Mal- my favorite part about the movie. John Malkovich yeah. and his performance. I mean, it's... <laughs> I mean, it's great. Looking back now, it's like I'm I'm shocked that this, that he didn't win an Oscar for this like supporting actor. I mean, it's amazing. He's he's amazing in this movie. Yeah, yeah. He he is quite good. And um, I mean, Mike, are you a Malkovich fan now? <laughs> I, yeah, I'm actually interested in checking him out in other movies. I think there's something very 
oddly charismatic about him. I think it's like kind of funny and weird, but also like, yeah, he's he, with the scenes where he has to kick ass. He does <laughs> like he, he only, when he's telling them, like, shut this thing down. This is not right. Like that yeah. whole scene, I think is great. <laughs> yeah. He's got a, he's got a weird mix of like kind of laconic laid back quality mixed with like, like, uh, aggressive, um, I don't know, rage or something. Yeah, and he's got this really, there's moments where he's like very masculine where he's like yelling and then there's other moments where he's very feminine where he's in his yeah. robe talking about yeah. lavender curtains or whatever it is he's on the phone about. Like, yeah. Well, he, he he rose to fame in two roles that were just like what you're describing. One was was Dangerous Liaisons where he was, uh, I, I, you know, they all dressed in kind of like very, this is a very femme looking movie. I mean, they, you know, it takes place in the 18th century and with Michelle Pfeiffer and um, Glenn Close and it's a movie about, you know, infidelity and sexual mores of that era and then uh the other movie he was probably most famous for before being john malkovich was uh this clint eastwood movie called in the line of fire i think it's his only oscar nomination where he plays uh, well guy who wants to assassinate the president i thought you were gonna say con air where he played cyrus the virus but anyway no well i mean he probably got that role because of in the line of fire and uh in the line of fire he plays yeah he plays this vietnam veteran who is you know, jaded and wants to kill the president. Clint Eastwood is the Secret Service agent who's going to stop him. Well, he's got this well, kind of oddly goofy face. Like yeah. it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's a yeah, serious yeah. actor face, but every feature is like exaggerated. Like his mouth is teeth. too big. His yeah. teeth are too big. Yeah. Um, well, here, if you want to see an amazing picture of him and uh, check out a movie called Places in the Heart and open up the poster, like the the, the, the DVD cover of that. It's it's uh I hear that Dave. This makes um, a great podcast. Ed the way. Harris with like two is like Ed Harris is like half bald with some like spots of hair on his forehead. You got <laughs> oh I, I'm seeing uh, you have Malkovich with this like red afro and thinning hair, and you got uh, Danny yeah. Glover, Sally Field. Like this movie must be amazing. We should review this movie. Well, I think uh, it won an Academy Field. Award for Ka- Sally Field. In this yeah, movie, man. That's, when she won the Academy Award, that was her famous uh, "You like me, you really, really like me." It's a famous uh, Oscar quote. Anyway, well, either way, that, that that poster is amazing. Yeah, it is amazing. Malkovich is no exception. He's he looks very Malkovich <laughs> on that poster. It's kind of got that you know, there's the like I don't that, care. That, like sulking, <laughs> right? You know what movie he was really good in was uh, uh, Empire of the Sun, the Spielberg movie. God, you keep going. You're obsessed with that movie, Dave. I think I you, know, right, you Dave, need to let it go. Week. Have I said? You and Babe, all, I think that what, Empire of the Sun is the new Babe. Like, we really? talked about Babe, you got that maybe off your chest. Do, maybe we need to do that movie, because I don't remember talking about Empire of the I Sun. Let's change some Malkovich movies. Dave, do that next week. Um, the thing, um, I, I, I kind of, I, I, I set this question up, and I didn't really answer it earlier, and I want to get back to it. I want to talk about Spike Jones a little bit more, and the Ooh. visual inventiveness of Spike Jones. Okay. Um, here's the thing I really like... Really like I really like what Spike Jones is doing for a variety of reasons. I love the first person view of when you go into Malkovich's head. Mm-hmm. Um, I realize that by now it's pretty passe because you have GoPros that do this all the time. But mm-hmm. back in 1999, I think that was a very interesting viewpoint that hadn't been done, you know, that much. I like the way that he uses. I, I'm almost like zooms and dollies to when they get locked into the. Um, into the into the actual portal itself. Oh, the subconscious, yeah. or whatever. Oh, and then the the most inventive visual scene is when they are trapped in Malkovich's subconscious. A, a trope that Kaufman returns to later with Eternal, Eternal Sunshine, Sunshine. Is yeah, in the Spotless Mind. Definitely. But when they're going through doors and the doors open to a different part, yes. of reality, mm-hmm. I yes. think that entire sequence, although brief, is amazing. It's a it's, very like MC Escher kind of thing, where you it's, know it, it's visually interesting. It's um, it's it's. The closest thing this film has to to a, an action sequence, yeah, it's a, it's a chase scene. It's a chase scene. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think that sequence is really cool. 
Um, and I think it, it's a testament. And you can say that's probably that partially that's Kaufman writing it, but I think that's a lot to do with um, Spike Jones filming it. You know, so. So I, I, thinking about this now, I wanted to say one more thing about Malkovich. My favorite oh. Malkovich moment in this movie is it when is, he says it, you're, they're in my head and he pounds his forehead. That's my favorite moment. <laughs> okay, I'll, that's your favorite moment. My favorite Malkovich moment is when. Um, John Cusack and Catherine Keener have decided that they're going to permanently stay inside oh, John Malkovich. And he, and he and, dances. And, and him, no, not right, right before he dances, where he, uh, like, just there's a few moments where you, Malkovich is playing himself, trying to, like, kick John Cusack out of his body <laughs> and, and also doing kind of a very subtle impersonation of John Cusack's character in the movie. <laughs> Dude, I believed it, too. I didn't you know, for a second believe that he was trapped in his own body yeah, trying to get out. Like, just, I bought it. Just the 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 mo- like the he's just making all these weird sounds and, and you know, like <laughs> right, like you right. would like <laughs> like what would you do if you actually had if you could feel someone in inside of you I don't know it's set you know it, that sounds very sexual <laughs> 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 which this movie in in a sense you can call in later with your <laughs> sexual thoughts there was you know that, that reminds me of another movie there was a movie in um in the early early eighties with uh, Steve Martin and Lily, Lily Tomlin called All of Me about a about a guy who's inhabited by the ghost of uh, you know, you were talking about body swapping or whatever you want to call it. Body uh, snatching. Movies. Snatching movies. That's awesome. another really good Steve Martin performance. Um, I love Steve Martin. Steve Martin was really great in that movie. Well, I think you could also, you know, going to this idea of body control, uh, there is a way to look at this movie as almost like a horror movie, right? Like there's yeah. these old creepy yeah. people that essentially harvest bodies. They weren't so funny, I guess. I mean. Well, I mean, yes. <laughs> I mean, they are, they are, but it, it, it's, it's like almost like the wrote like the old people in Rosemary's Baby. Like they're like the old, this old cult that meets to, to basically, I mean, they're going to take over a, a woman's body <laughs> in 40 years, which is yeah. scary as hell. So, yeah. um, a lot of that's uh, a little creepy. A little definitely, creepy. definitely creepy. Yeah, um, no doubt. Yeah, and that, that's like the, that was one of the most the weirdest scenes is watching this woman, this, this young girl, you know, float like an angel through the like the swimming pool, all happy and nice in this bright blue ocean, and knowing that she's going to be a vessel for like fifty people one day, yeah. fifty old lecherous people. Like, what the heck? I think you're Poor right girl. about Spike Jones, though. I think that uh, you know it, it's not just that's at the, I, I, that scene at the end is interesting where they're going through the, the subconscious, but he also I, I really like the way he transitions from being inside Malkovich to being outside. You know, you know, you, you, there's so many different ways they could have chosen to to show people exiting that that uh, you know the experience of being him, but he just, he just lets people fall just out fall from, from above the camera, frame, you know, yeah. you know, he doesn't pan up or anything. He doesn't create, there's no special effect that makes it look like they're coming in from any kind of, it's just like, there's above frame and they just <laughs> fall out. You know, there's just some platform above the, above that line of, you know, the camera. Um, yeah. Um, so he makes some very simple visual choices and also some very complex ones. You know? Yeah. It's a precisely shot movie that never feels, um, like restrained or too controlled. Like um, a good a good counterpoint would be like a Wes Anderson movie feels very controlled. Mm-hmm. Like it, he's a filmmaker that is known for how he stages and how how rigid everything feels. I just heard Dave peeing. Yeah, Sorry. Dave just peed. <laughs> um, and Sp- I think Spike Jones is not an. I don't. I wouldn't consider him a naturalistic filmmaker. He's not doing like floaty handheld shots and all that kind of stuff. It, there is a control to what he's doing, but at the same time, there's a, it's a really good example of how you can. Uh, create a style that feels very laissez-faire, but also like you know what you're doing, very defined. So mm-hmm. um, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of his filmmaking. Mm-hmm. Just the craft of Spike Jones, I, I have a huge admiration for. He's very good at making you feel um, 
like a, a strong connection with his characters. I mean, have you guys seen her? The, yeah, the, yeah. The mm-hmm. I mean, that that's like it's another movie. It's almost like an impossible feat to make you really empathize with someone who's like in love with right. his own, you know? Right. Or yeah. and where the wild things are, the opening 10, 15 minutes is just all about this. They, they, he has to really make you remember what it's like to be an eight year old running around the house and, and uh, you know, all the, the highs and lows of what it's like to be a kid. I mean, he really captured that really well in the beginning of where the wild things are and adaptation. I thought he did, he did a really good job. That's a movie I actually need to revisit. I haven't, I don't think I've seen it. Yeah. Since, we're uh, going to probably get to that one down the line. Um, because I think uh, I remember really enjoying that movie, but uh, um, uh, purely on this meta level of what movies are and um, what Charlie Kaufman must have been going through when ma- writing mm-hmm. it. Um, and I think that's why Kaufman's so interesting as a figure because he conveys this, he all his movies in some in some form are about being an artist and and the struggle of you know what that's like yeah that's true. yeah <laughs> but 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 doing it in facsimiles like um uh, well, i guess a bad example is adaptation because he literally has people named charlie kaufman mm-hmm. in the movie um right isn't isn't Char- isn't nicholas cage playing yeah. charlie kaufman yeah. in that and, movie? and his brother <laughs> his brother uh which is even better uh but i mean this movie is all about that right it's all about the artistic struggle Definitely. and uh how one's hubris can lead to their own demise um in a lot of different ways um any final thoughts about being john malkovich um you know closing out this show i'd just say anyone who hasn't seen it in a while should go back and rewatch. For sure. Um, Mike uh, is, you know, I was going into this movie, I was real scared that you would write this off as being too weird. Um, <laughs> because sometimes, like, I, well, I don't know, like, you, you surprise me sometimes because you like all, you liked Melancholia. So there are, it is interesting sometimes how you, uh, you adapt to things that are a little bit more abstract. Uh, so yeah. what's your final takeaway with being John Malkovich? I, I, I think it was. I think it was good. I, I said I liked it. I thought it was it was fun. It was weird though, and I, I think you know, like I said, getting past as long as I push that weirdness aside, like all right, it's yeah, it's a weird movie. Let's just see what we can take from it. Um, there's a lot of stuff I really did enjoy. Uh, I, like I said, I, I don't love you know me and, and morality and wanting the everyone to be good in some way, right? So I, my my biggest gripe is just the idea of like these evil old people like overtaking John Malkovich. Where did John Malkovich go? Where, where is he? Mm-hmm. He's a prisoner in his own body with 50 other people and his daughter now is going to be another vessel. Like that kind of stuff always just like, all right, don't just don't think about that. Don't think too hard about that and you'll be all right. Um, but overall, like I said, I think the concept was interesting. I think there were a lot of funny, like good funny moments in it. Um, I think it's very unique. I like the just some of the imagery of like the half floor, I think was hilarious. Like it never got old seeing people walk through the hallway with like their shoulders on the ceiling, like. Having to having to claw their way out of the elevator and like nobody questions that that it's weird. Like, you noticed that was the Oscar winning actress Octavia Spencer in the uh, opening, yeah, she, <laughs> in the opening I, elevator scene. I did. Um, you know, you're right, Mike. It's a, it's a great visual gag because it, it's like yeah. everyone's hum- everyone looks everyone's hum- hunched. Yeah, there's everyone's, no short people in that office. Everyone looks humbled. You know, mm. like there yeah, there, right, there's yeah. no way to look cool like hunched around that office. Like you could be Brad Pitt and you'd still look like the dorkiest person in the world, which I think right. is, uh, I don't know. I don't know if there's deeper meaning in that or if it's just supposed to be funny, but I, I do think that's interesting. Um, okay. So, uh, yeah, uh, this was being John Malkovich. It seems like this movie really held up. I, I was surprised how much I enjoyed it upon a revisit. I think it is legitimately worthy of the acclaim it received in 1999. Yeah, I would um, say so. I feel like it does hold up. It doesn't feel too dated. Like I said, certain things like, you know, the long hair ponytail plaid shirt of John Cusack felt a little bit, yeah. you know, some things did feel a little bit, you know, like 2000. Okay. Yeah. 
very you know like John Cusack himself, like uh, Cameron Diaz herself, like the two of them were like, yeah, they're they're both pretty two thousand, <laughs> you know, late nineties. <laughs> so, ooh, that hurts. Um, <laughs> cool, uh, but yeah, uh, this was an interesting experience in revisiting. And as Dave says, what, what did you what did you call it, Dave? A movie, a masterpiece. A masterpiece. Oh, uh, yes, you yeah. say that. God, I set you, you up. You stepped oh, right over yeah. it. It's a masterpiece. Um, so yeah, that, that, that's our discussion of being John Malkovich. Um, it belongs on the shelf. Put it on it, your shelf, Mike. It does. No, if, no <laughs> not on the shelf. It, it, I won't do it. <laughs> if people are interested in uh, finding more of your work on the internet, Mike, where can they find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at uh, Mike Mirandi or um, at MikeMirandi.com. I'm also jumping on the Instagram and Flickr bandwagon. So some of my uh, hobbyist photography will be put up there. The Flickr bandwagon uh, from 10 years. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. For those that of you still living, in, like, still living in the 2000s, speaking of. Mike I love, wa- I love Flickr. Right? Mike <laughs> wanted to make sure that it was going to be a sustainable franchise, you know, sustainable, <laughs> you know, thing before he jumped on. Oh, you know, that's fine. It's, it's very retro. It's, it's like very hipster thing. It's like basically the new vinyl. Flickr is the new vinyl. <laughs> So I'm going to go follow Mike on <laughs> Flickr right now. <laughs> I, I don't like Flickr. I have smug mug. That's my thing. Ah, whatever. Um, yeah. And you are a smug about it too. I am. I'm a smug mug about it. Dave, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, Twitter, Dave Glanz, Jillian Z and Dave Glanz productions.com. And you can, you can find me <laughs> at Ivan Kander on Twitter. That's K A N D E R. My website is lucky nine studios.com. And I am a writer and editor for the website. What am I, what do I write for Mike? Shotoftheweek.com. There it is, people. Uh, so you can check out. Uh, not the same without Mike. It just, it just isn't. It's just not the same. Don't say, don't say that. You're breaking my heart. Uh, so um, uh, you can find me there. For next episode, um, are we going to do the listener request of Die Hard? Is that what we're doing? I think we're good. So, yeah, I think we. Uh, are we not going to chain a Malkovich movie? And I think watch we were going to do it this time, and then we changed the Malkovich, and now we're. Well, it's very fitting. Anomalisa is getting critical acclaim all over the board. We had to talk I, about Charlie. I Coffee. definitely yeah, want to see. Uh, definitely want to see Anomalisa. Um, I do too, but uh, it's a tough sell to convince my wife to go see the stop motion puppet movie. You can go see movies yourself. About, it's okay. About depressed. We'll people. go with you, Ivan. Come on. Uh, no, I, I actually quite enjoy seeing movies by myself. It's the same. same. Here. <laughs> I, it's weird. Um, no, it's not weird. Uh, but yeah, so I think we were doing Die Hard. We realized that Christmas was. <laughs> few weeks ago but whatever let's die pretend hard. it's still christmas let's pretend it's still christmas and we'll watch some die hard which i think might be the most boring episode we've ever done because we're just going to talk about how awesome it is for an hour um but sounds good uh until next time you can find us on the web at facebook.com slash reviewed podcast you can email us at contact at reviewed podcast.com be sure to subscribe if you have not done so already uh in closing out uh dave can you give me some malkovich's closing out no <laughs> Malkovich, Malkovich, Malkovich. Oh, sorry, Malkovich, Malkovich, Malkovich. There we go. Mirandy. Okay. <laughs> All right, here we go. Mirandy, 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 Mirandy. I'm doing this, guys. All right, let's do it. <laughs>